I've not. Um, thank you, Denny and Brittany. I hadn't heard that song before. Um, I loved that that third. I actually it was all great, um, but that third, that third verse. Um, more about Jesus and His Word. Holding communion with my Lord. One of the, of course, ways that we do that. We commune with God as what well. we spend time with Him in prayer, but spend time with Him in His Word. Have you spent time with Christ? Today, a question we ask ourselves, we should ask ourselves, ask of each other, have we spent time with Christ today in his word, right? And we do that in his word, not just simply in prayer. Hearing his voice at every line, I love that. How do we hear God speak, right? Through his word, that's it. Right? We know that he doesn't speak audibly, right, to us. At least there's no evidence that he does that anymore, and so I would say he doesn't. Um, but he does speak to us. No, that's the bottom line. He speaks to us through his words. So if we want to hear God speak, what do we do? We read his word, right? And who is it, Randy? Someone says, if you want to hear God speak audibly, read his word out loud, right? Um, making each faithful saying mine, right? That we, we not only just simply spend time with Christ in his word, hearing him speak, but that in a way we, we do it. We take possession of it and take ownership of it as we study and as we read and as we spend time with him. So anyway, great. I hadn't, hadn't heard that or read that before, and I just... Uh, that, that third verse was was uh, just fantastic, and so thank you for teaching us that that song this morning. Um, tell what, let's pray, Father. Um, we do thank you for your word and how you have and continue to reveal yourself to us through your word. Um, if we want to spend time with you, we need to impart. Spend time with you in your word. If we want to hear you speak, we need to spend time in your word. We want to see you glorified. We spend time in your word. If we want to be changed, we spend time in your word. So we do thank you for your life-giving, your life-giving word. And we do pray that today you would glorify yourself and that you would continue to change us as you speak to us through your word as it is proclaimed. Thank you, Father, also for this church. That is the people of this church. We are we are the church. And uh, for all who you've brought here today, God, um, I'm grateful. pray that you continue your work in our lives, your saving work, your sanctifying work, Lord. We know that there are um, um, some in this church who are out today for work and for illness and for other things, God. And we love them, and we miss them as well. And so we pray, God, that you would continue your work in their lives as, as well. Lord, I do long for the day that um, I long for the day that we are with you eternally, and I long for the day that we are together as a church with you e- eternally. And then there will be no more sickness and no more work that separates us as, as a body um, from worshiping you and spending time with with you and so and that we do pray jesus that you would um you would come quickly we love you and we thank you and it is in your precious and holy name we pray amen okay um this morning we're going to continue in second john specifically looking at second john um verses four through six uh, as you're as you're turning there, I kind of just a, a brief going back to one thing last week that I'd kind of I'd kind of thought about, and I, I want to clarify. I guess kind of clarify. Um, 
one of the things I had mentioned was, you know, uh, concerning the letter, just background information is that, you know, it was written John the Elder, right? And that I believe, and I still believe, that he was writing to... Um, he was writing to a specific individual that he referred to as the elect lady. And we know that there are some that believe that he was metaphorically using that term, elect lady, as church. Um, but, but what I want to clarify is regardless of where we fall on, on that, and sometimes it's not the case, okay? But, but in, in, in reference to Second John, it is. Regardless, and, and I didn't even mention this last week, regardless if you think that he's writing to or he means uh, a specific woman by saying elect lady or actually a, a specific congregation by using the term elect lady. It doesn't, and here's what's important, it doesn't change anything in the letter. That, that's, that's, and sometimes we, we overlook that. Now, sometimes there are things that changes things depending on what you believe. But in this case, one, it doesn't matter. If he's writing this letter, if he initially you know, wrote this letter to a specific lady or a specific congregation... It changes nothing in how we interpret and how we apply the, the, the context of this letter. Furthermore, we know this, that when John, John originally wrote this letter, right, if, in fact, he was writing it to a specific lady, it being Scripture was ultimately written to not just a specific congregation, but was written to the in-church, the, the church, right, not just sovereign grace, but past, present, future the church is God's word, right? And so even as we go through all of Scripture, right? We, you know, Paul was writing to Timothy, right? And First Timothy. But God was writing to us, right? Paul was writing to Titus and Titus. But God was writing to us, right? John in Revelation was writing to these various churches, but God was writing to us. So we do want to keep you know, uh, that in mind as we, we study Scripture. Sometimes there's going to be differences of opinions and, and thoughts on this and thoughts on that. Sometimes they're, they're big deals, right? Game changers, if you will. But within the evangelical community, most of those don't change how we interpret and how we apply the text. So it is important to remember that, right? Okay. Now, that being said, I forgot to bring outlines, so what I want to do is give you an outline. Okay, well forgot to send Randy my outline so he could print it out and do all that. And so we, we were behind the, the, the power curve on that. So it's a real simple outline. Second uh, uh, John, right, verses 4, 5, and 6. Right? I titled this sermon, Practicing the Truth, okay? And the first point we're going to look at is in verse 4, and it's this. It's live, that we are to live according to the truth. So, so 4, 5, and 6, practicing the truth, point 1 is live. That is that we are to live according to the truth. And verses 5, or 5, sorry, is love. Verse 5 and 6, sorry, we love. We love according to the truth. So the first point is that we live according to the truth. And the second point is that we love according to the truth. First point, verse 4, love, love according to the truth, verses 5 and 6. So we'll look at that. So if you, if you like to do an outline or kind of give you an idea where we're going over the next couple of verses, I hope that helps. And I apologize for not having a, a printed outline for you. Let's read now um, 1 John, um, 1 John, sorry, 2 John verses 4, 5, and 6. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love 
that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. In verse 4, John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. We, in fact, are commanded as believers to walk in the truth. But what does he mean by walking in the truth? Well, walk, the word walk here, right? This, this idea of walking in the truth is being used metaphorically um, to refer to how one lives. Right? We are to live according to the truth. We are to live in light of the truth. We see some, some several examples in Scripture where the uh, God, really, through these human authors, use this idea of walking in the truth metaphorically to refer to how one lives or to meaning how one lives. We see it in Hosea 14.9. find Hosea. Okay, Hosea 14.9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them for the ways of the Lord are right and the upright what the upright walk in them but transgressors stumble in them in dealing with how one lives their lives the upright what the upright lives what according to the ways of the Lord we also see this used in uh, Ephesians um, 5 2 Ephesians 5 2 says Now I'll read one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and what? And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, of course, it's being used metaphorically because it doesn't even make sense. How do you walk in love? I not mean, walk across the, the platform, but I mean, walk in love. It doesn't make sense, right? Again, we understand that it's referring to how one lives, how one conducts his or her life, what we do and what we don't do. So, so walking in love refers to what we do, okay, how we live, what we do and what we don't do. But it also refers to, and this is, I, I, think, I think this is important. This is just important, if not even more important as to what we do, what we don't do. But why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do. Again, we're talking about how one lives his or her life, what we see at least externally, right? Walking in the truth. John says, I ran into some of your children, right? And I saw them walking in truth, right? I examined how they were living, right? Maybe what they were saying, right? And, 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 and that's, you know, being reflected or a manifestation of them walking in truth, walking according to the truths of Scripture, living according to the truths of Scripture. But again, it's not just doing or not doing, but it's also the why, Okay, and here's here's why it's important. Um, 
I've got a friend, right? And he's a Mormon. Um, he's one of the most outwardly moral individuals that I have ever met in my entire life. Now, if I were to just look at him or look at his acts externally, I would say Rocky walks in the truth, right? I mean, look at how he lives his life. What he does and what he doesn't, doesn't do, he's, he's walking in the truth. And it breaks my heart because he's not walking in the truth because his God is not the God of the Bible and his Jesus doesn't save. So he's not walking in the truth, even though externally it looks like he is. And that's why the why is important. Not just what we're doing, but why are are we doing it? What are the motivations? What are the reasons behind it? Um, these behavior or behaviors, these actions, right? The, the what's and the whatnots and the why's and the why nots that John is referring to as living in, in the truth. He's referring to a habitual, right? Or habitual actions, right? Habitual behavior, um, habitual uh, uh, thoughts, Okay, as far as the whys are, are concerned, their lifestyle. I saw your children, right? And this was their, their lifestyle that I observed was that they were walking in the truth. Again, the overall characteristic of their lives, it was a, not perfection. It wasn't the perfection of their lives because it's, it's not. It, walking in the truth is not going to be the perfection of anybody's life this side of eternity. Okay, but for the true believer, it's going to be the pattern, right, of of their life. Life is characterized by that. I was just speaking with someone moments ago about believers and 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 fruit and believers' lives, right, and and believers bearing good fruit, right. I'm sure that every one of us, right, if 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 we gave someone else a camera, right, and we said just to take snapshots of my my life, right. Overall, they take all these snapshots. And as a believer, if you looked at all the snapshots, you would see overall this good fruit in your life, right? But I'm sure amidst all of those snapshots, there's going to be some ugly ones in there as well. And, and you know, if you pulled those out and had all of those by themselves and just looked at those, you'd say, oh, this person's in trouble, right? But when you look at the overall picture, you see what? You see an overall picture, characteristic quality of good fruit or walking Walking in the truth. I know I emphasize that a lot, okay? And we talk about these issues and we talk about fruit and we talk about living according to the truth or whatever the case is. I talk about it being, again, the overall characteristic. And, and it's important that we keep that in mind. If anything, it's important that I keep that mind, in my mind, lest we become um, uh, uh, unbiblically judgmental, right? And saying, oh, well, she did this or he did that. That's bad. They're not a believer because I can't believe the word that came out of her mouth. Right, and you say, "Oh my gosh, it was bad." But we look at the overall characteristic of their life. Right, that was horrible, and they've actually repented, and 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 this and that, and so on and so forth. And it's not them characteristically, right? So it's just important to keep that keep that in mind. Not not just for examining others, I mean, because we want to guard ourselves against judging others, but even for examining our, ourselves, right? Um, you know, walking in the truth, living according to the truth, truth specifically, the truth. The truths, the commands, the mandates that God has given in Scripture 
concerning how we should live. Commands, truths, resulting in commands like this, like honoring your mother and father, Exodus 20.12. Doing all things without complaining or disputing, Philippians 2.14. And all things, what? Giving thanks, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And some of these I'm paraphrasing in the Nate Carper version, so they might not quite fit with what your Bible says. That's Ephesians 4.29, right? And, beloved, let us love one another. 1 John 4, 7. That's what John said he saw. He said, I saw your children doing these things, right? Living according to the truth. And not only just living according to the truth, but living according to the truth because of Christ's transforming power in their lives. You know, I think about that and how this would look in our lives today. Um, it's like someone coming up to you and saying, you know, I saw your kids at the mall the other night, right? Or I've seen them out and about town, or I've, I've seen them interact in the youth group, or whatever the case may be. And i got to tell you, this is what John was doing, be it, legitimate children or members of the church, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. But John's telling them, he says, I've observed them and I've seen them and I'm thrilled and I'm encouraged to see them living godly lives. That's what John, that's what John is telling the elect lady, whoever she is. So I saw your children and they're walking with the Lord and it thrills me. He's rejoicing over their obedience. More specifically, he's rejoicing because their outward obedience is a reflection, right, of their hearts, of what's on the inside. And as I as I read this and I think about I think about specific application, what what we do with it. I mean, when we should be encouraged as John is encouraged, right? And we should encourage others when we see others right, walking in the truth and walking according to the truth. But I, but I, I, think, I think the question that I, ask my, I asked myself that I want to ask you is, do you rejoice when you see other believers living in obedience? That, that sometimes can be a hard thing to do, especially when we're not right, living in, in obedience. It's hard to be like, well, they're probably just, you know, they just want to look good on the outside. Right or whatever the case, or maybe I'm just the only one that's that's been been there, right? But as believers, right, we should be rejoicing when we see other believers walking in the truth, not out of duty, right, not in some Pharisaical way, externally being obedient, but when we see others walking in the truth, living obedient lives as a result of delight, delight in Christ and who he is because of what we've done, we as John should be encouraged and should rejoice. We are commanded to, to walk in the truth. We know, of course, according to uh, John seventeen seventeen, Jesus says, right, 
sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth, right? That God's word is truth. And throughout the entirety of Scripture, God gives us commands. He gives us imperatives, right? Instruction. And we are to obey, right? I mean, listen. We as believers have a duty to obey God, okay? I mean, we do. We have a duty to obey even when we don't feel like obeying and even when we, 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 we just don't want to do it. We do have a duty to obey, right? But more than that, as believers, when we obey, we should be obeying out of delight. Sometimes I think the delight follows. I don't... It's one of those things, okay, God, I know I know what's right and I know what's wrong. And I'm really struggling here because I really just want to do what I want to do. I, that, that's just it. That's in my heart right now. And I just want to do what I want to do. But I'm going to obey you because it's the right thing to do. Um, but I want to obey you because... Because I want to obey. I mean, and, and, and it's this inner conflict, and I hope you can relate. It's like, okay, I'm going to obey you. Like, I'm not going to do this right now because I have a duty not to do it. But I really, I really want to do it or not do it because I want it to be the desire of my heart, but I don't have that desire in my heart right now. So I'm going to obey right now just out of duty, but I really want you to give me the, the, the desire. And so there's this, this, this struggle or this conflict of, you know, we're, Listen, we have a duty to obey, and we should obey out of duty, but we should, as believers, be seeking to, to obey out of delight. You know that sometimes the, the delight follows. And, and when we find ourselves in those moments, when, when we're obeying simply out of duty, but yet we at least desire the, the, the obedience out of devotion or out of delight, I don't think that obeying out of duty is in any way hypocritical, or uh, legalistic or pharisaical or, or anything like that. I mean, we're, we're, we're sinners, and we're struggling with obedience. We know we should obey. We want to obey. We want to want to obey, and yet there's, there's, this, there's this struggle. Now, if we think in some, some way, well, God says do this, I'm going to do this, and by doing that, then I'm going to be in his good graces, and I'm going to earn this, or I'm going to earn that, then, then now we're dealing with hypocritical, pharisaical, whatever, right? We know that sometimes as believers it is a struggle to obey. Two verses concerning obedience that I, I just want us to keep in mind as, as we move through this. Um, first one is Second uh, Timothy 3.16. Again, just a reminder that, that God's word is to be obeyed. And I think this is a great verse for that. Um, and again, 2 Timothy 3.16 Paul says all scripture, right, and uh, primarily at, at this point might have been referring to the Old Testament, but um, or was, but we know all scripture, right, Genesis, Revelation. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for what? For, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness, training that we might what? Observe, that we might obey. Training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Scripture is to be obeyed. Paul tells Timothy that here right now. It's good for all of these things. Okay? And then John fourteen fifteen. I'm going to look at this verse again later this morning, but for right now, John fourteen fifteen says, 
this is Jesus here, right? If you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey. So scripture is to be obeyed. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey. That obedience proceeds love, right? doesn't produce love. Obedience proceeds love. So love produces obedience, not the other way around. John's thought concerning um, obedience says this. This is a fantastic quote. John Stott says, God has not revealed his truth in such a way as to leave us free at our pleasure to believe or disbelieve it, to obey or disobey it. Revelation. Revelation carries with it responsibility. And the clearer the revelation the greater the responsibility to believe and obey it. To believe and obey. I think the question that we must all ask ourselves, and and sometimes um, probably more obvious than others, but do the actions of our lives reflect the beliefs of our heart? Or the other way around, right? Have you want to word that? Do your actions reflect your beliefs? Are your um, is your life, right? The things that you do, the things that you that you say, do they reflect what you what you believe? What you believe about Christ, right? What you believe about yourself. We know a lot of times we're cornered, right? Well, I believe that it's, it's, it's wrong to this and it's right to that and the, that we shouldn't do this and we should walk in this and that we should live like this. And then, then we find ourselves maybe living contrary, right? Maybe as habit, maybe as pattern, and then maybe just small, dirty pictures, if you will, I'm talking about the whole snapshot or ugly pictures, not dirty pictures, ugly pictures. Right, but again, I think that's something that we almost we almost at times ask ourselves, right? Do my actions reflect my beliefs, or do my actions reflect what I proclaim I believe? We we experience that a lot, right? Those cultural Christians, right? Oh, I'm a Christian, right? I'm like, <clears throat> you live with your girlfriend after leaving your wife. I'm, I, you're not a Christian, right? Your actions, right? Don't follow what you say you believe, right? So again, just something we must ask ourselves from, from time to time and examining our lives and where we fit in this whole paradigm. Okay, verse 5. So back to um, First John, uh, Second John. I'm going to probably say First John for the next however long. So even after we move out of John and we move to who knows what, I'll probably still be calling John or whatever John because I think for like the first half of First John, I was still calling John James. And so just forgive me and bear with me. All right. Back to Second John, verse 5. Um, so we're to live according to the truth, verse 4. In verses 5 and 6, we're uh, to love according to the truth. Um, verse 5, we see love, love commanded. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had had from the beginning, that we love one another. I, I love, I love, right? Appreciate. Um, 
how John makes his appeal to obedience here, right? Obedience to what? To love one another, right? He doesn't make his appeal on the basis of his word, but he makes it on the basis of God's word. Now listen, John, I mean, as we said last week, I mean, he was writing this letter pastorally. It was Pastor John writing a letter, not, not Apostle John. I mean, we know that he was an apostle, right? But, but he was writing it pastorally. I mean, however, as, a, as an apostle, I mean, he had authority in the church and over the church, um, uh, authority like no other pastor has had since. I mean, he, was, what, he would have been the last living apostle. And, you know, there's Christ. I mean, from a hierarchical structure, I mean, obviously you have Christ who is the head of the church, right? And, and John, like pastors today, would be an under-shepherd. Uh, okay, right, submitting to Christ, but he was an apostle. I mean, he, he, there was, uh, he had special authority, if you will, as an apostle that uh, pastors, that Randy, me, whoever, doesn't have. And I think John could have said, listen, as an apostle, I am commanding you because of what I know or what I don't know or whatever the case is, but as an apostle, I'm telling you to love one another, right? But he doesn't do that, does he? He makes his appeal. He makes his command based on what Christ says and not on what we say. He says, I'm asking you or I'm commanding you. This is what he's saying here. On the basis of God's word, Christ's command to love one another. Now, I know we went through all this commandment stuff. and We're going to look at a few verses that deal with this. But, but for a minute, what... What a great example he gives us, right? Um, one for pastors, okay? And then two for believers. That when, when pastors, we looked at this morning, right, uh, in our equipping time, we were talking about being obedient um, and, and submitting to pastoral authority. And we talk about in the realm of spiritual authority, right? That being said, when, when pastors um, make an appeal to an individual or a, con- or a congregation, for, for obedience, right, that pastor is to do what John did and is to make that appeal on the basis of what God says. So the scenario I threw out, so the girls or the guy or whoever, right, they're, they're living together. You know, not married, shacked up, acting like they're married, okay, and they come to us and say, hey, here's what's going on, right? Listen, not based on what I say, but based on what God says. Right? God says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly bodies. Right? It says, uh, sexual immorality. Right? Uh, evil desires, greed, all that stuff. Right? Right? And we're to, to what? Right? To live sexually pure. God's word says this. God's word says that. So I'm commanding you on the basis of God's word to repent. Right? So the appeal is made on the basis of God's word, not on my word. Right? And so it's important, as John sets an example here for pastors, as we, as we do what, what Paul tells Timothy, right? Scripture is good for what? It's for teaching. It's for reproving, reproving, sorry, rebuking. Right? It's for doing all these things. Scripture is for all these things. So when we do that, when we exhort, okay, when we admonish, when we correct, when we teach, when we do all that, it's important that we do so on the basis of what God's word says 
and not on what I say. That's, that's pastorally important, okay? But that's important for you as well. And, and it encourages me, talking earlier this morning, I quipped down about encouraging pastors. It encourages me when I've heard stories, and I have even from this congregation, of you know maybe there's an individual that's struggling with sin, and there has been in the past, right? And then I hear that this gal or this guy, right, another member from the church, went to this person over here struggling or in sin or whatever the case and made an appeal on the basis of what God word, God's word said. Listen, you can't, can't do this, right? It's wrong. And it's wrong not because I say so or Pastor Randy or Pastor Nate says so. It's wrong because God's word says it's, it's wrong. And so I, I urge you on the basis of what God says to, to stop and to repent, right? And so again, John sets this awesome example, and I think it is an awesome example, that, that we as believers, all of us, wherever we fit in, in this, this picture, in this body, when we make appeals to one another, be it, be it on the basis of instruction for building up, right? Or admonishment for, for correcting, that we do so on the basis of God's word and not on man's word. Um, it's a great pattern to follow. Let's see. Uh, we are commanded, though, okay, to love one another, right? And we're commanded from the entirety of, of Scripture to love one another. We'll look in Leviticus first, Leviticus chapter 19. So John says, Dear lady, on the basis of God's word, love one another. So Leviticus 19 18 and 34. So I'll read 17 and 18 and then I'll read 34. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the, a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, verse 34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall what? You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. It says, I am the Lord your God. And again, First John, beloved, let us love one another, right? For love is from God, even though we know that she was not probably familiar or they were not familiar with that letter nonetheless commanded in the New Testament. John 13, 34, which they, she, us, right, would have been familiar with concerning the command to love. John 13, 40, 34, sorry. 13, 34, if I can say that correctly. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, now remember, just real quick, we... Oh, it was probably First John we examined that. By new, he meant fresh, right? Um, fresh because of Christ. It wasn't like a new as it never had been given, but fresh because Christ was now on the scene, okay? Um, a new commandment I give you, that you what? That you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Again, so it was a new, it was a fresh commandment because of Christ's love, right? but not new in the sense of never been given because we go all the way back to the Old Testament and we see where we're to what? Love one another. Listen, we are commanded to love one another 
and to love on the basis of God's word. We are to love indiscriminately, specifically talking about the body of Christ here, okay, believers. This is the context that John is writing within, okay? But we are to love indiscriminately and without excuse. But we know that it's difficult, right? And we struggle with it. But again, even back to what I was talking about moments ago with that, that inner tension and that struggle, are we, are we willing to love? It's like, Lord, right? I love them or her or him or whatever the case is. Help me to love them, right? I love them. Help me to love them. It's like, it's like the guy that prayed uh, or said, right? Uh, I believe, help my disbelief. Right? I think that, that we find ourselves often at that same place. I love them. Um, help my uh, unlove, if you will, towards them. You know, I love them. Help me to love them. Right? So we, know, we know that it's a struggle, but as believers, we must be, be willing. And again, we know that love isn't a, a sentimentality. It's not just simply uh, an emotion or, or a feeling, right? But love results in action, but are we willing and wanting to act then on the basis of love, right? Um, First Corinthians, right? Love is. Let's go there. Let's think about this for just a, a few moments. First Corinthians um, 13, 4 through 8. This is where we see love in, in action, right? The manifestations of, 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 of love. This is what love does. This is, in fact, love. First Corinthians, uh, again, 13, 4 through 8. This is love defined. Um, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Again, in verse 13, goes all the way down and just says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is, is love. We struggle with love. But love is patient. And I'm struggling loving you. I mean, not. I'm just using an example here, right? but yet I need to be patient with you. Okay, God, I need to be patient because love is patient, but I really don't love them or I'm struggling loving them. So does that mean I don't have to be patient with them because I don't want to be a hypocrite, but I want to be, but I'm not. And again, we get back to that at times, that, that place of, of tension, right? And I think that's where it's fair to say, okay, God, I'm going to be patient with them as a result of love, but I'm really having a hard time loving them. So help me, help me love them, right? I love them, help me love them, right, as I am patient with them, as I am kind with them, right? Okay, verse 6, back to um, Second John. It says, love defined. So, again, we love according to the truth. In verse 5, we see love commanded. 
And in verse 6, we see love defined. I mean, in part, we just looked at the definition of love as far as what it looks like, right? It's patient. It's kind. It does not boast. It does not envy, right? It's not self-seeking or serving, but love what serves others. So in one way, we, we defined love there, right? There's many ways we could define love. John defines love here in verse 6 in terms of obedience, okay? Um, obedience to God's word, his commands, obedience to the truth, and a walk in truth, right? And we, we obey according to the truth, and John in part says that's love, right? Love, so what we're going to do is we're going to define love in relation to God, and then we're going to define love in relation to, to, to man, all within this realm of obedience. Love defined in relation to God. True love for God manifests itself as obedience to God. John fourteen fifteen. What did he say? We looked at that a few minutes ago. If you love me, you will what? You'll keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. First John five three says, For this is the love of God. That we what? We keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's right. So if we love God, we will obey God. So we ask, how do I know I love God? Do I love God? Someone comes to you and says, I don't know. Do I love God? I sometimes question that. I don't know. Or how do I know if we love God? How do we know if we love God? Do you obey him? But we need to remember that obedience is what? The fruit of love, but not the root of love. So just because you see an outward obedience doesn't mean you necessarily love God. And I think that's why, even going back to the very first point, it's important that we ask the why question. All right, am I obedient? Yep. He says, honor your mother and father, and I honored him. He says, don't lie, steal. I didn't do any of those. Didn't commit adultery. I honored the Sabbath. So I must, therefore, love God. I'm out, right? This is where I would just say, okay, why? Why why do you honor your mother and father? Because I don't want to get spanking. Is that that a result of loving God, or is that a result of not wanting to get spanking? If you say, well, listen, I, I, I honor my mother and father. Actually, I don't, but I really want to. And... And I want to honor them because I know it honors God and I, and, I, and I want to please him. I would say that reflects a love for God, wouldn't you? Okay. Well, you know, why are you being obedient? And I think, I think when we ask the why, right, we can get to the root and say, all right, you know, yes, I am being obedient because my obedience is a result of love for God. So obedience is a fruit of love. It's not the root of love, right? It doesn't produce love. Right. And so, again, we just ask those questions. We ask why as we examine ourselves, as we, as we help others wade through this as, as well. Okay. Now, love um, defined then in relation to others. Now, this relates to everything we've said um, so far about love. You know, I mean, all the way back to First John, and we've been going through this, right? Beloved, let us love one another. If you don't love others, you don't love me, and so on and so forth, okay? True love for others 
Actually, let me go back. I'm just going to remind you real quick. True love for God manifests itself as obedience to God. Just so we, we know the difference between the two. All right. So true love for God manifests itself as obedience to God. True love for others is informed, motivated, and directed by God's word. And talking about obedience here. Not simply as a result of a command but more so a result of revelation. Revelation concerning who Jesus is, what he's done for you, and what he's done for others. I know I've said this in the past through First John. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again today, and we'll probably look at it again as we continue through Second John and, and, and Third John. But our love for others, if it's true love, has to be based on Christ's love for us, Christ's love for them. I love you not because of you. I love you because of Christ. Because who he is, God of very God, and what he's done, what he's done for me, what he has done for you. So when we seek to love one another, we love because of Christ. We love in Christ. And ultimately, we love for Christ. So let's pray that God grants us obedience that we may walk in love. Lord, um, I do. I often feel um, feel like I'm in this position where I, I love others, but I don't love. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, that, it's that inner tension. It's where I love, but I want to love. I love, but I need you to love. Like the guy that said, I believe, help my disbelief. I guess I would say I often feel like saying, Lord, I love, but help my, my unloving attitude, my unloving actions. But I want to. And, and he wanted to believe, and he did believe, but yet he struggled with it. And, and I think that's where we are uh, as believers, that we, we do love, and, and yet we want to love, and, and yet we struggle with love. And, and we, know, um, we know this side of heaven that, that, that love, our love anyway, um, for you and our love for others is not going to be perfected. Um, and, and, and we need to be aware of that. We know that, that no matter how hard we work and how hard we try, until heaven, until heaven, love won't be perfected. But yet we should still seek it and we should still strive after it and pursue it. And so I pray, God, that you would help us in that. You would help us to be obedient, that we may seek love, we may pursue love, we may, we may, we may walk in the truth. And, and Lord, when we, when we fall short, um, of these areas, intentionally or unintentionally, Lord, I pray for your immediate conviction that we would we would turn from that sin, that we would repent, be restored to you, and be restored to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you again, Father, for your word and and what it is. It's you speaking, and and, and what it does. It glorifies you, but it also feeds us. Spiritually, it, it encourages us, it motivates us, it, in, it instructs us. And so I pray, God, that we would consider everything, at least today and over the past weeks and months and years and everything that we've, we've learned from our own individual study and, and sermons and, and all of that. I, I pray that we would consider your word, Lord, and we would continue to, to seek to understand it, that we might accurately apply it for your glory and for our good. Again, Jesus, we love you and we praise you for you alone are worthy of all of our praise. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.